Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You can follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. I gotta say, first of all, welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show. I gotta say, anytime we have a D'Antonio-era guest on and Ben whips up one of those highlight packages, I just love it. I could watch D'Antonio-era highlights all the time. So, Keith Nickel, your Spiro Avenue debut. Welcome, man. It's great to have you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me, man. Great to be here. Oh, man. That was a fun era. I said you had a little wry smile, too, when those yeah. highlights were playing. I mean, does that yeah. seem like yesterday, or is it kind of like, oh, man, that was 100 years ago? Uh, uh depends on what day you ask me sometimes it feels like yesterday and sometimes it feels like there's so much that's happened in my life between now and then but uh great memories either way yeah it's interesting i mean the d'antonio era is i think fairly romanticized i mean despite the ending and you know whatever you might think of it it was such a a peak and you know some would argue the post-national championship from the 60s era peak for this program i don't think there's really any arguing that frankly and you know you look at where they're at now where we thought, okay, we're revolutionizing the program and Mel Tucker's here and it's a new era and a new chief and we're going to modernize everything. And obviously 2020, everyone knew it was a wash. 21 goes great. 22 doesn't go so great. I don't know how closely you follow this stuff. Are you like closely watching the team every week still or what's your status there? Yeah, I'm pretty intimately involved with the team and have a good relationship with Coach Tucker and a lot of the other coaches. And um, I, I can't help but love Michigan State and be involved as much as I can. But at the same time, I've got my own family and business that I worry about on a day-to-day basis. And so I think for the average alumni, the average former player, I'm, I'm much more engaged than the average, but at the, but I'm also not uh, following the recruiting boards and, and, and tracking everything that way every day. And what, what prompted you to stay in Michigan? Did you meet your now wife like while you were a student, or what's the, kind of the backstory there? Yeah, so I've uh, met my uh, now wife uh, at Michigan State uh, back in 2009, and we've been together um, you know, for a long time. Uh, I got married in 2016, have three kids now, uh, three and a half, I think 20 months and uh, 14 weeks. So it's busy at the house right now. It's three, you said three and a half? Yep. Yeah. Like on the way, is that what that means? No, three and a half uh, year old boy. Oh, three and a half year old boy. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I, I thought you were going for like a lingo there. Yeah. So so obviously your wife is from Michigan originally then? Yeah, she yeah. went um, to Chippewa Valley High School. So uh, Clinton Township is where she's from and I'm from Lowell. And so Michigan State's what's brought us together. Yeah, I mean, you and I have a couple of things in common. We both graduated from Michigan State, met our wives at Michigan State, yeah. have three kids. And I think the similarities pretty much end there. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 guessing, I'm guessing you're the better athlete between the two of us. So we'll, we'll get to that. So are you like a little bit as someone that you just said intimately involved with the program still? And I, I, I've seen you up there and we'll get to that in a minute. But were you a little bit disappointed? Were you blindsided at all by the 2022 season because i think a lot of people were expecting a step back but not like a collapse backward what was your take on that yeah i I don't know if disappointed um is the right word i think you know the expectations were were certainly higher than than what the outcome was but at the same time if if you've played football or been engaged at a high level um, and you really track what's going on uh, we were a couple injuries away even in 2021 uh, from having a very poor season. And so uh, anything that could go wrong went wrong for us uh, for the most part in 2022. So, you know, we had a thin depth chart, especially on defense. Key players go down almost instantly. And, you know, we, we struggled in pass protection or in, in the passing game. And 
uh, that got exposed immediately. And that was kind of the, the knife or Achilles heel there for the rest of the season. And we couldn't recover from that. And so, I, yeah, you know, and we also missed maybe the best running back um, in the country uh, and Kenneth Walker being gone. Um, and maybe the best in Michigan state football history, potentially in that guy. So when you miss, you don't have him around and the defense is running thin on the depth and our O line is running thin on depth. And, you know, like, again, it's a perfect storm of things that could go wrong. And they did. So you view that more, you know, five and seven in general is more of a reflection of perfect storm, lost a bunch of guys still early in the rebuild, but everything's okay. That's not to you something of, oh my God, this is not a great sign for where this is going. No, I think, you know, what Coach Tucker is doing in terms of recruiting and building the team up to reflect like his vision. I think he's absolutely doing the right way in a very new era of football with the portal, with NIL. I think he's doing a tremendous job there and he's very talented. And I think not, I don't know any coaches that really evaluate talent better than him. He's been in the NFL. He knows what it takes. He's been in big time programs like Alabama, uh, excuse me, Georgia. He's been a part of those programs. And so he knows what these guys got to look like. And he's building that program around what these guys need to, to be at elite positions. Um, it takes four recruiting cycles, legitimately four recruiting cycles to to know what your coach is really all about from a recruiting standpoint, uh, from a tactical standpoint. And I think tactically he he has the ability to be a, an extremely good coach. And I think he is a very good coach. Recruiting, he's a very good coach. You got to see through it the f- full four years. I think through two full recruiting cycles as of right now, because uh, yeah. he came in after at the end of COVID there, and that really wasn't his, his class. Um, and, you know, if I were looking back at 2021 and 2022 to compare, everything that could go right in 2021 went right for us. Everything that could go bad for us in 2022 went bad for us, right? And so it's like polar opposites in terms of seasons and how they went. Yeah, I, and I agree. I mean, the two losses in 21 were the Ohio State bloodbath and Purdue. Yeah, we were in the game in the second half. Something like we got blown out, but I didn't feel like, oh man, one play goes the other way. It's It was a loss. Like it was a legit loss. Yep. It's funny because I got a lot of, pushback from people who I mean I love you guys like they're fans of the show and they're Spartans and all that but I came on the show a couple different times and you know I talked to Jeff Sakwa who's a a influential guy up there and a big Mm -hmm. donor and has raised a ton of money for them and everyone I talk to off record on record on the show off the show with any influence at all I mean Brian Masalam has been open about it as well there was no rattling of the Mel Tucker faith in in that cage up there with the people that actually matter and i don't mean matter like fans don't matter but i mean in terms of have direct influence on decisions right the leadership up there not at all like that five and seven they weren't even rattled a little bit and people were mad at me for relaying that and i said at the time you can disagree and think they're nuts but i'm just telling you i've talked to right six people either the person themselves are one degree of separation away with some pull up there and you know some big names up there some of them on the show like on the record nobody really cares that much big picture about the five and seven they didn't like it right they didn't look at it as some grand indictment i mean i don't know how like aware are you of where the fans were because the fans were kind of turning on him a little bit and now it seems like the recruiting's picking back up and yeah like what do you make of that what would you say to somebody that says ah this is bs this isn't going to work out um i'd say you're way too early to judge and I, I stick by my you gotta get through four recruiting cycles to really know what you have in a coach and the ultimate death of a program is to give a coach only two or three years and just keep turning coaches over and over and over that's the dumbest thing that you can do you have to hire the right guy 
and stick with them through those four cycles, in my opinion. And I hate to say it, like looking at uh, the team down the road, Harbaugh is kind of an example of that. Not like a great first four or five years coach. They're, he's getting ready to get fired probably uh, in the middle of the Rutgers game if they didn't get that fourth down uh, through the COVID season. And they get it, they win, and that's one play away from probably getting fired. And you see your coach through after five seasons and look where they are now. Like if you have the right guy, you have the right guy, you have to stick with them. Um, was I aware of the fans being disappointed? 100%. I was in those stands. I was I had my son there. Like I, I could hear it. I could feel it. Um, I don't like losing. I don't like seeing us go through those types of things. But if you grew up in the game and you look at it as chess and not checkers, that and you understand there's going to be volatility through the experience of a new era, a new coach, a new uh, style of recruiting and everything that there's going to be good and bad and you have to be ready to experience that um so the same guys that were excited about 2021 they have to be also to take the the bad that came in 2022 fans are fickle i mean by nature and i mean you mentioned harbaugh i actually thought you were going to go a different direction and go for the guy that was there when you were in east lansing rich rod is a great example of a guy I could argue they bailed too early. I mean, yeah. I know three and nine was really bad the first year, but everyone acknowledges he came into an empty cupboard. Lloyd mm-hmm. Carr just left that thing bare. You know, five and seven, and then seven and five in year three, and then Hope wins eleven games, goes to the Sugar yeah. Bowl with all of Richard's players in what would have been his year four. I, it all worked out for him in the end. They had to go through Hoke, and then you know they got it right with Harbaugh. But I think that's an example too. I think they bailed on Richard too early. Like yeah. that was finally starting the role, and that set them back almost a decade and, and yeah. those turnovers. Right. And so, uh, and they were getting ready to probably do that another five to six years had they hired Har- or fired Harbaugh, uh, you know, prior to that COVID season or in that COVID season. And so um, you have to stick to your guns and you have, it's critical that that hiring process is done right. And I think we did the hiring process right in bringing on coach Tucker. I think he's the right fit for us and the fans have to be patient. They have to be willing to experience the good and the bad. You were on the other side of the ball when you were a player there, but there's a little bit of a correlation, not correlation, corollary, just a little bit of a similarity there with Scotty Hazelton and Pat Narduzzi from your time. Because Pat Narduzzi, I don't know, I mean, Twitter wasn't as big back then. People hated Narduzzi his first couple of years there. And like kind of, it started to turn right in your senior year where the defense, you know, started to become viewed more favorably. Yeah. People were demanding that guy be fired yeah. daily. And they stuck with them. And obviously there were reasons for the defensive unit struggles. And then that Michigan State defense had a run there, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. I mean, you had a couple top three defenses in the whole country. Yeah. The others were top 10 to 12. Thank God they stuck with them. I see that. Now, full disclosure, I am friends with Scotty Hazelton's wife, but I was friends with her after I said all this stuff. That's yeah. how I actually met her was because she saw all my content <laughs> saying this yeah. stuff. And she was like, hey, thanks. So yeah. I said all that before. That's why we're friends now. But yeah. that's not why I said it. It's what I really think, because I was a student like you and I were students together. Like I, yeah. you and I graduated together. I mean, maybe you didn't know that, but like I was there at the same exact time as you graduated at the same time you did. So my experience with the fans of being one of them was they hated your defensive coordinator. And thank God they stuck with them. And yeah. I would argue that's the a good reason to stick with Scotty Hazelton. Yeah, I mean, he's a great example of it. And, you know, I, I keep probably saying the same thing over and over, uh, not to be a, a dead horse here, but it's like you have to have conviction around your systems and your themes and your thesis of what your team's going to look like and give you the coaches that you have, the decision makers you have, 
with the right resources. And that, what are the right resources? The resources are the kids, the guys playing. And if you don't give him those three to four years to recruit and get the players in that they want, then, and you cut bait too early, then it's like, what are we, you just killed four years for no reason. And so you get Narduzzi through those first four or five years. He's got his kids now, Darquez Denard's in there, Trey Wayne, the list goes on, Jarrell Worthy, and I mean, All-Americans, Greg Jones, I, I keep going. He got his kids, the players, and a lights-out defense that any team in the country would have loved to have at any time. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, people look it up with by any metric, the S, you know, S and P. I mean, second best unbelievable defense twice. watching those guys. It's, it's just elite, elite levels. And everyone wanted the defensive coordinator's head out of stake like 15 months earlier from yeah. when that run started. And I see it, and it's not just, oh, because one guy shouldn't have been fired and was vindicated. It means that you keep everybody in perpetuity, but there's there's other similarities there with just the personnel, uh, you know, how thin it is, the injury yeah. issues. There's so many comparisons. We could do half an hour on that, which we yeah. won't because it'll bore people. Yeah. But I, I think you're insane. And the players I've talked to, some on, on the air, they they want to go through a wall for that guy. It's totally. similar to what you heard about Narduzzi back in the yeah. day. It's like they they <laughs> yeah. love. He made Scotty's. me want to play defense. You know, I loved Narduzzi. him. Yeah, I loved him. Yeah, the, the intensity that he brought, um, maybe kind of a Izzo esque, right? The intensity that he brought made you want to run through a wall for him. And he's a brilliant defensive mind, in my opinion. The things that he would dial up, the way he'd feel out the other teams and what they were doing, and pulling the best out of the kids that he had, and. I think what the average fan probably doesn't realize, and I experienced this in my time at Oklahoma, then at Michigan State, this is really what I learned, what I'm about to share, is that the number ones and the starters on your Power 5 teams can go against the ones and starters against any other Power 5 team. The ones can compete at any team and go at it. What differentiates the great teams, the Georgias, the Alabamas, I mean, Ohio State, and just pick on some of those teams, Michigan State's teams in the D'Antonio era and what we're trying to build now, it's depth. It's having your number two guy being just as good or maybe even potentially better and more talented, but just not quite as experienced as the guy that's actually starting. Because of the competition and because you're able to step in there in a game and replace a guy that's maybe hurt, injured, or tired, now he's fresh and coming in and beating up on the guy um, on the other side that doesn't have the same depth and the recovery opportunity. The, the depth is what separates these teams. It's not the ones. Especially in college, because in the NFL, absolutely, it's like a pro's replacing a pro. There's right. there's a drop off, sure, but it's a pro replacing a pro, right? I without naming names, but we did have guys even in 21. I mean, our offense was just so good with Kenneth Walker; it didn't really matter. But we had guys on defense each of the last two years that, I mean, no one thought would ever even play. I mean, yeah. like ever, right? I, you know, it's a like, God bless them. Uh, those players thought they'd never play. I mean, yeah, probably. they were right. like they look shocked to be out there. So and, and it wasn't just one guy. It was, again, I don't want to name names, but there was a point where our defense had three guys out there, none of whom anyone thought would ever play. It's you can't can't compete like that. Yeah, right. And you're oh yeah, you know, go cover Jackson Smith and Jigbo. Like that's it's, uh, good yeah, luck. Like, have fun happen. with that. So I mean, that's what happened. So I'm curious your your relationship with the program now. Mel Tucker said when he was hired his first week. He really wants the former guys like brought in, welcome. You can come anytime. You want to see a practice come in. I know you've attended at least one of the Spartan dog con mm -hmm. things that you know we yeah. talked about before. But you spoke in a specific capacity. And Ben, can you throw up the picture of? Uh, let's start with the one with him and Tucker. So this is from you, but the picture of you and Tucker. I think that was <laughs> Tucker, like very early in the Tucker tenure. So you went, uh, you went up there to 
discuss financial literacy with the guys and kind of go over some of the stuff with the current players. And uh, Ben, if you have that, that next picture, I want to just to show the audience that one where Keith's talking to the crowd. Uh, yeah, there's the football team. You're talking to the football team. I'm curious about that specific capacity. Did, did you reach out and offer that? Did Mel Tucker call you and say like, hey, I heard you're a financial guy. Like, would you mind coming? Like, how was that sort of facilitated and how did you land there in that capacity? Yeah, um, good question. Darren, Darren Harris is a former teammate of mine uh, and one that I've, uh, you know, admired from afar. And, you know, he's still very much involved with the program and has a Wears a ton of hats for the program, so I'm not even sure what actually what the title his, is his that he has. It'll change every like, five seconds. I feel like he does everything for that program, yeah. and so you know he's really the one that reached out to me and said, "Hey, we're trying to just put these kids in a position to win. The, the current kids on our team in a position to win to become further educated. NIL is a part of the game now. Uh, do you mind coming up and you know uh, donating some of your time to these guys and just being around them and asking, answering their questions and whatever it might be that they have?" I said, "100." percent And I've always looked at it like Michigan State has given me everything, an opportunity to play, a scholarship. Um, and because of those things, uh, you know, I ha have a great family because I met my wife there. I got my kids because of Michigan State, my business because of Michigan State, my best relationships, friendships, family, business relationships have all stemmed in some way from Michigan State. And so when somebody from Michigan State or anybody at Michigan State calls and says, hey, I got a favor, it's 100% yes, whatever you need. And that was kind of an example of that. Um, Darren could ask me to run through a wall for him and I'd do that too, but it, that's really what that's about. And that's probably why I'm around the way I am. It's like, if somebody asks for something or I know that me being around, is going to help Michigan state succeed, then I'm going to give my time, effort, energy, and resources to do that. And I don't know if other schools have that, but that is a thing at Michigan state. Like Spartans don't really say no to other Spartans. Like, even if I'm just wearing a Spartan, like quarters zip out in the wild, you know, yeah. it's like people come up to you and. It's like they're your frat brother. And yeah. I was not a frat guy. Yeah. It's, just, it's like the frat you didn't have to get tortured to join. Yeah. Uh, it's just an incredible relationship. And it seems to be the football and basketball programs in particular. I think Spartans everywhere, you don't have to have played a sport. But those two programs in particular really have that element. And Tucker seems to be fostering that to a large degree. Yeah, I think he gets it. You know, when you're recruiting or um, you're trying to build a culture, I think, let me backtrack. I, when somebody comes to play for a school, um, there, I think their uh, concern in the back of their mind is like, when this is all said and done, uh, where do I go from here? Am I welcome back here? Like, I bled, sweat, given everything I can to this university. Do they care about me after this? And he's very smart in bringing back his former players, uh, even if they didn't play for him, to have them around because that shows the current kids that you'll always have a home here at Michigan State. And that will make them that much more dedicated to what they are giving, which is their body, effort, energy, time, everything. They're giving everything to Michigan State and that football team. And so when they see that with former players coming back like that, I think it builds a positive culture. And I know that. And because I saw Coach D'Antonio do that, and that meant a lot to me and seeing guys coming around and hanging around. Drew Stan coming back and hanging out, like that meant everything to me. So I try to be that 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 old guy that's now hanging around to, to – uh, Give these guys uh, you, you look know. like you could still play yeah. man i don't know i i don't know if you've like gone no. up uh whipped the ball around a little bit or caught any i don't but. know if i could take a hit uh the same way anymore uh, you know? well that's that you were you were you know you were never like a big bruiser guy you were uh you know 
good yeah. receiver and you, you were a shifty guy. No one ever had a clean look on yeah. you anyway, right? That, that was the hope, right? There's uh, not the art to getting hit and falling down. There's, uh, there's you were a, good in the pocket, <laughs> man. I don't remember you ever getting lit up. You were yeah. one of those guys that just never uh you were just you had good anticipation and you you dodged the big blows. I don't know, maybe I'm forgetting, but yeah. I remember thinking at the time, I was like, you never see nickel just get blown up. Certain guys yeah. are just better at that yeah. than others. Le'Veon Bell was the the master at that. I don't know if that ever that guy ever got popped from the time he's a little kid till his time in the NFL. Like he's always spinning off something, finding a way to dodge yeah. somebody, slip off somebody, kind of fall down lightly. And that creates longevity, right? He's never in a highlight video unless he's the one making the highlight. Exactly. You know, that's, and yeah. that's why. Exactly. Yeah. He, he, he did a lot of like, he'd get tripped up or kind of spin off. And for a guy that was pretty big and strong, like that's kind of the opposite, but yeah, yeah. He, he could have been just a battering ram and got lit up. But yeah. So yeah, you're, um, your relationship up there, I think, is pretty common for the former players and like the stories I've heard. Just out of curiosity, like the financial literacy conversation, is it like a, hey guys, here's how to like write a check? Is it like, hey, if you make it to the NFL, don't buy a Lamborghini on the first day? Like, what what's sort of the context? Um, well, it's kind of an open forum. They're asking just you know blanket questions, and there was a a wide variety of people uh, age wise that were in the crowd. Right, guys that uh, had long retired that you know that were former players and guys that were just brand new you know i think oh so i thought it was just like the current team so it was like the whole it was a wide variety it was a wide yeah the whole whole thing was there okay so yeah i heard i heard it all um and some questions around taxes some questions around uh cash flow and spend uh, how to invest where to invest i mean kind of felt like i heard it all you know should i have my will and trust done and i'm not an attorney but you know we do a lot of plannings and so just like if if you could think it up, they're probably asking it. Yeah. Right? And so how much time you got? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Fair. I, honestly, the financial literacy thing, I think it's insane that that's not taught. Like, yeah. In high school, at least, you could argue for like the intro in eighth grade, like middle school. I, yeah. I don't get like why that's not part of the public school I don't system. Know. But. Uh, and hopefully there's a change going on with that, right? Because if you don't understand money, the basics around money, how to look at a balance sheet, basic accounting, um, it's it's very hard to be successful in those in this world if you can't understand those things. Just baseline, like basic Just baseline. Level. Yeah. How, how does need... compound interest work? Like, yeah. How do basic taxes work? You know, how does cash flow work? Where am I saving? What am I not? All those things. I love that they brought you up there to do that. And typical Darian. Darian's the man. I love that guy. It's the best. Yeah, I mean, Nobody his better. basement is like being yeah. the AD someday. <laughs> like, because I used to say like, oh, you're the next AD, man. Not next one, but whatever you want. You know, yeah. hell or when he's retired, when yeah. he wants to leave. I'm not yeah. pushing anyone out, but it, you he'd know, be, he'd be tremendous. I mean, he's brilliant. He's a very smart kid. He's brilliant. Um, he cares about people, though. You know, and he's genuine, and his heart's always in the best place. Uh, so you combine that, and he could be one of the best 80s in the country probably at some point if that's what he wanted well i think i may have sold him short he could be the president of the whole school i mean honestly yeah. like it's you know the ad thing it's like geez you sit down with that guy uh, he's been on man i think three times uh and he's a friend of mine too he's like just great guy i love that guy uh but that's a guy where it's like there's don't bet against darren harris there's no yeah. like whatever he wants to do just he'll he be can, successful in anything he does in life yeah. he's that type of guy he's, he's just 100%. a winner smart and hardworking. and you said caring i had him and believe me we're not going down this rabbit hole but i had him on shortly after the whole tunnel incident yeah. in ann arbor and you know the stories that he told almost all of them on air a couple off but just you know kids sitting in his office and like how much he ached for them and they were upset they were confused about their suspensions it was a kid that was suspended didn't even do anything and just like the way he really wore that every day from our off-air conversations too it's just yeah. that guy's got 
a huge heart. So love Darian Harris. So totally pivoting off that. I want to talk a little bit kind of going through the timeline of how you got into the Spartan family and, you know, progressed through. You started your journey at Oklahoma. Yep. Major, major program. And certainly at that point, you know, way ahead of Michigan State, you guys caught up while you were at State with, you know, you were in the top five, three years in a row. Um, but you're in Norman, you're in this competition with Sam Bradford. Famously, that was like a big, big thing. I was up here and I was familiar with what was going on okay. in Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, it was, I don't know if you realized the reach, like that was a thing. You know, who's going to be the quarterback for Oklahoma? It's an iconic program. So we're going to roll a tape. I just want to give people a little taste of, you know, kind of where that was and what that looked like in the news at the time. Sam Bradford, eventual Heisman Trophy winner against Keith Nickel, vying for the QB1 spot in Oklahoma. Sam Bradford has now been able to enjoy three full days as the University of Oklahoma starting quarterback. Coach Bob Stoops announced Bradford as the starter on Tuesday. Since then, he's been getting a majority of the work in practice and preparing for all the attention that comes with one of the state's most high-profile positions. There's two other really talented guys right behind me, so you know I just got to keep playing the way I can. And because uh, if I don't, then there's two guys right behind me who are going to come in there after me. So there's still a lot of football to be played in the season, so you never know when it's going to be your time, or you know so. You know, I'm going to keep working hard and competing like the next snap, you know, I'm going to be in there. <laughs> Very young Keith Nickel there in yeah. that competition. What was that competition like with, with Sam Bradford? Because you were famously in two of these battles. We'll get to the other one later. What was that like? What was he like? Was it bitter? Just talk me through that. No, so Sam, um, you know, being a year older uh, and he's from the state of Oklahoma, and I think his dad actually played at Oklahoma. So there's like a strong connection with him in the University of Oklahoma. Um, I love Sam. Like Sam was a great guy, and uh, he's somebody I'd hang, I could hang out with here, have a, have a drink, you know, cigar, whatever. He's just a good guy, and um, he wasn't as highly recruited. I think he's like a three a three star kid, and maybe underappreciated. A very talented athlete, a great basketball player, was recruited. I think to go to the University of Tulsa to play basketball on top of football, uh, which a lot of people don't know. So um, our relationship was very positive. Um, we had played very different. And so where I was more of a shotgun spread in terms, and I would use my legs a lot. Sam was a very shotgun spread, but sit in the pocket, kind of dump it down to your, to your talent and let them do the rest of the work, which ended up being probably the, the perfect fit for what Oklahoma needed. And hence why he goes on, they have a lot of success and he becomes a Heisman Trophy winner and number one overall pick, all those things. He's a perfect fit for him. And I'd be the first one to tell you that. Uh, hindsight being 2020, but we had a great relationship because it wasn't, like for like we weren't the same guy playing the exact same way for the same position it was like whatever the team needs to win with whatever style is best it was kind of the mentality of what we went in with and even myself didn't understand the like the the seriousness or the attention that was coming along with it it was just i came in as a true freshman i wanted to play and uh, i was fortunate enough to play you know in six games i think and I didn't redshirt. I think it was the only freshman that didn't redshirt uh, that year uh, because of the playing time. Uh, and so that was very, variable, very valuable experience for me. So you didn't have, yeah, because when you, you know, lost the quarterback battle, because you did play and you guys were kind of similar to with Cousins, where it's like it wasn't even settled in week one. But when it was clear that they were pivoting and Bradford's our guy, you were 19, maybe 18. I mean, you were really young. Yeah, I was 18 years old. Um, when they announced that or when they and, and really how is it kind of shared with me is like hey listen um 
probably not a clear cut starter. Uh, you know, Sam has been near longer kind of thing. Like, and that's not to discredit him taking the position. It's just how it was explained to me. Right. Hey, he's been here a little longer, a little more familiar with the pro with the playbook. Going to give him the first snaps and starter, and you know if um, you know, if you gotta get brought into the game, just be ready to do that. And so I was prepared all season to go in at any time, and uh, but there's never a need. He went on and in every game he he excelled. If you went and looked at the stat sheet or watched any of the games from game one on, he was lights out. Like there was never a a moment where I was like, oh okay, he's just he's off today. Like he was always just on it, and the guys were on it, playing great. The team was playing great, and. There's no need for change at really any point. Is there an element of you as like the 18 year old kid though that doesn't have that rational view that you're expressing now, where it's you know, screw that guy, like I'm better than that guy, or you know, is it, was there any bit of that which would be totally I think normal for yeah. for an 18 year old? Yeah, I mean I was um, I was always very highly confident, and and I think it was probably towing the line of, and I think all great athletes have to be this way of nobody's better than me. Um, I, I've feel very talented. I feel like I can go out and do just as good or better. You have that mentality, right? You have to. Um, and it's rubbing up in the line of almost arrogance, right? When you're, when you put yourself in that place. Uh, so was I sitting there thinking, Oh, you know, could I excel just as well or do better? Yeah, of course you're thinking that. Um, but even growing up and with you know, talking to my dad's like, I wanted to be a part of great football teams. I wanted to win more than I wanted to be some superstar player. And so, um, you know, my heart was always in the right place for the team. And I think that's what allowed me to kind of be humble and, and go through that process. Did it hurt? hundred percent. Like you, you're wondering, you know, why did I go from Michigan state or Michigan down to Oklahoma? Did I, you know, make the wrong decision here? Um, you know, my family's coming down to watch games and like, it's a hard pull for them to get down. There's 14 hours to get down there via car, a long flight. And so you have like kind of those guilt moments, you know, like, what am I doing with my family here type thing? But it all works out in the end. So where's the point where Keith Nichols standing there and he realizes, okay, like I'm, I'm out of here for sure. Or probably was there like a, a moment you're standing on the sidelines or sitting in your dorm? What did that look like? Yeah, I think so. Um, what some people may forget is I graduated early, went down there for spring ball league going into my, the freshman football, my freshman football season. And so I had a full spring and then we go through the season and um, coach Stoops doing chats with us and coach Heupel at the time was our quarterback coach who's now a great head coach at Tennessee. He's our quarterback coach at the time. Says, Hey, listen, like Oklahoma is all about competing. This is an open competition for quarterback. Like just because there's a great season last year doesn't mean anything for this year. And I take everything that somebody says at that level at face value. So kind of go, go through a competitive spring. And in my opinion, it was like, you know, Sam was kind of always doing, you know, embedded with the ones, maybe rightfully so, and doing that thing. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall of like, you know, Sam's going to, if I want a great chance at getting meaningful playing time as a quarterback and proving myself, one of two things have to happen. He has to, you know, get hurt at some point or leave for the NFL early. Uh, both of which ended up happening, by the way, you know, uh, after that season. And so hindsight's always twenty twenty. Had I stayed at Oklahoma, maybe there's a great chance to be, uh, starting quarterback there for two or three years and you know who knows what happens uh going forward that way um but things always work out in the end and um you know, i wouldn't trade my position what things are going on in life business my family um like life is blessed and life is good 
Great response, because it's Michigan State, man. There's nothing better. I'm sure Oklahoma was wonderful. My yeah. cousin went there and loved it, but yeah, come on. Yeah. East Lansing, man. You can't beat East Lansing. So you're obviously you come to Michigan State and and you're you're brought there and you're sort of going from one QB battle to another. I mean, that was right away already the discussion. And you were in this position, you know, I it's tough to say where everyone was at every point in that, but for a considerable time, because I remember it, I was around, you were, you know, sort of the slight favorite, I think, certainly among the fan base, you were the favorite to get that position. Sure. You know, you're attacking that job. Before we get into it, I want to run, similar to how we did with Sam, little video where it's D'Antonio, a very young Keith Nickel and a very young Kirk <laughs> Cousins, talking about the QB battle, who's going to be QB1 at Michigan State, who's taking over for the departed Brian Hoyer. Ben, let's roll that. look at our quarterback situation and say, wow, it's a little close to call right there. But uh, both of them responded when they were down. Both of them showed good leadership. Both of them made plays. White was up 17-0. Cousins brings them back. Yeah, they had to make plays, and that's that wasn't by design. It's just sort of the way the game unfolded. But, you know, they had to make a play at the end of the first half. Cousins had to take them down, and Nichols had to bring them back. Whenever they're comfortable, whoever's obviously the guy moving the ball down the field, um, that's who they're going to go with and who the team feels comfortable with. Um, there's so many factors into uh, deciding who's going to be a starting quarterback that uh, they can't just put a date on it. They can't just say, okay, September 1st, we're going to have our guy. It's not like that. You know, there's great competition there. It's just going to keep going. Um, and that's on the coaches to figure out. That's not my job. My job is to just come in there every day and, and give my best and work my tail off. And um, that's what I'm going to continue to do. Yeah, when we dialogue together and we, we have conversation, we can talk about, you know, the schools that we played together, you know, schools, the same schools we played, or even if we played each other in, in a different sport, or, um, you know, we have some of the same friends that, mutual friends that we knew, and, uh, you know, we just have a lot in common in that sense that we can talk about, and uh, we're similar people, and, and I think that, um, you know, that's a cool thing, and, and I think it represents West Michigan well, and we're going to continue to try to do that. Both guys can create. Both guys run pretty well. You know, we didn't allow them to run past the line of scrimmage today, or you would have saw more big plays. We got them knocked on the ground a little bit, which is a positive to me, too, without getting them hurt because they need to be able to, to take hits um, and show their toughness and be able to respond, and I think they did that. So pretty good performance by both those guys. Yeah, Coach D, a barrel of laughs, as always. Yeah. He's a great guy and <laughs> as stoic as they come. But yeah. I mean, looking back on that, it's kind of wild even for me because, I mean, I remember being a student and like kind of being in that at the time, and it really didn't seem like – you know, it was a heavily favored in either way. I, in my head, in my memory, you were like a 55-45 favorite among the fans, but no one really knew where that was going to shake out. Like similar to the Sam Bradford question, what was that battle like? Was it similarly friendly with like it was with Bradford? Were there differences there? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, Kirk and I grew up on the same side of the state, of course, um, Holland. I grew up in the Lowell, Grand Rapids area. So West Michigan kids and you know, I was familiar with Kirk, you know, through the recruiting process and maybe similar to Sam, but even maybe slightly on a, on a lower scale, like Kirk wasn't getting recruited the same way uh, and getting a lot of the attention. Um, you know, his fortunes just had a lot of success at Lowell and uh, five-star rankings, and all these things, right? And so we just kind of almost like came from like opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of our upbringing through football. Is it Holland uh, Christian who um, he had, he was, he forced them into success. They weren't a, a historically successful program and then you know Lowell where I played we had a lot of success kind of coming through that so it's just a very different dynamic that we grew up in um, but we grew up in very humble 
families um, where family was number one. Um, his spirituality and religion was extremely important to him. And I grew up in a household where those things were important too. Um, at the same time, we're very different people. Uh, Kirk had a very much chip on his shoulder kind of mentality uh, and still carries that. If you watch him in the NFL, right? In some interviews, he still has that chip on his shoulder kind of mentality. Yeah, so you like that. I yeah, mean, that's, yeah, yeah that's what and, he is. And uh, I've loved him for that. But again, um, we both, the number one priority to us was that the team was in the best position to win at all times. Um, a big decision to me going to Oklahoma had to do with the style of offense, the players that were there, uh, not the the connection to the university as much as more about, okay, what can the, what can this help me do as and throughout my football career? Coming back to Michigan state was all about, I grew up loving Michigan state and that's where I committed to and wanted to play with, you know, originally I had a Michigan state flag in my front yard growing up as long as I can remember. My mom went there, my cousins were there. Um, and so that's where I just always wanted to be. And I didn't think so much about, you know, the football side of it as much as that, if that sounds crazy, it's more about a, a lifestyle choice and coming back home and being there with my family's not too far away and that type of thing. And so um, why I'm saying that is because the offense at Oklahoma was probably more conducive or more flexible or open potentially to the kind of things that I brought to the table, Michigan State at the time. I think we still had a fullback that we were using. Yes. Right? And so yeah, that was drop back eye like formation. A, that was and, not a uh, Keith Nickel offense. Yeah. yeah. And so but um and so, you know, the offense certainly evolved over time as talent allowed it to do so. And we did more shotgun and things over time. But um, I would say maybe a similar thing to what I said about Sam was that over time, what, potent, what became clear in terms of the, the, the coaching, the style of coaching, the play calling is that Kirk was probably a better fit for the style of, of, of the offense and the playbook that existed at the time. And what I noticed even while I was there is that my, my playing style was forcing them to create plays and do things that. I could tell that maybe weren't part of the norm or what they had done in the past or what they're kind of used to. And so, um, you know, everything works out again in the end, the way it's supposed to, and had a similar conversation through the competition at the end of say, Hey guys, there's not a really clear cut winner here. Like we're, you know, Kirk, you've been long, you know, uh, the tiebreaker goes to the longevity here, uh, or tenure at the program. And he takes the first snap as a starter. I think we were, who did we play there in our first game? Um, Drawn a blank, but anyways, and so we, I think we split time pretty evenly that game. Split time pretty evenly the following game. Um, we get in the Michigan game. He starts at plays a good chunk of that. Gets hurt, we, and we're doing some back and forth stuff. He gets hurt, and I finished the game. I think we went in overtime on that one. Um, then you know I dislocate my elbow against Illinois, which actually I think we did a pretty good job of keeping that under the radar, so that teams going forward had to prepare for both of us in the upcoming game or games, so they weren't really sure what they're going to get. From that but that was really the turning point in my opinion on the competition itself was dislocated elbow kirk's now playing full-time each game for the next three games uh until i was cleared to play which i think was against maryland or penn state um with the big old brace on my elbow yeah I, um so hard to play quarterback doing that um so he he ran with the opportunity did great um got better every game in my opinion and you know when the team needed help like a Again, team first. Uh, we had an off-campus fight with wide receivers. Uh, some receivers involved in that, and they, you know, the receiving depth was less than where we needed it to be. And so they asked me to play re receiver. And is that how it happened? That's how it happened. I I didn't know that part of it. I, I remember the fight. I know what you're talking. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I either didn't know or I forgot the connection that that's yeah. what. So it was out of necessity. Yeah. Because you were a good receiver though. So it was that just. 
they knew you were an athlete and could catch or like what was the yeah i think you know coach d'antonio to his credit his mentality was get your best players on the field however you get them on the field and uh i was fortunate that he felt that way about me and he he said we got keith in the field i don't care how we do it and that was the opportunity that presented itself to be able to do that remember their conversations with coach narduzzi he wanted me to come over and play safety at one point um but i stuck with the offense and the wide receiver side because that's what i knew uh and so it was necessity that that brought me to the wide receiver position and just never let go of it man I, that's that's like breaking news to me that's yeah. kind of that's kind of wild actually especially given some of the moments and your touchstones in the program as a receiver it's like yeah thank god for that flight i guess is yeah, that right? yeah, I, don't, I don't know yeah <laughs> no i i know i'm i'm saying it there, there'd be no racket play you wouldn't be out there you'd, yeah. be, you'd be like you know clipboard and yelling at cousins or something yeah. I, it's 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 fascinating to me that that's how it happened and we did see that with d'antonio like tony lippett had sort of a background as a, yeah, yeah defensive back ended up a really good receiver justin yeah. lane was like kind of the other way like receiver mm-hmm. went to corner so yeah jeremy langford kind of goes back and forth between yeah. offense and defense yep and, yep that's happened like to a really high success rate for them and at a really high level that's that's interesting you kind of threw me for a loop there. i never knew that that's, yeah. that's that's really interesting so like i said thank god for the fight yeah. so was, was there a clear like so Bradford was just more chill cousins was more intense is that is that kind of the biggest difference between the two yeah, I think they're both. Well, the similarities would be that they were both obsessive uh, about football and they love football, and those are great attributes about those guys and highly dedicated, uh, which I love that about them. Um, but yeah, they're they're different people from different backgrounds. Um, so they were, if I were to write the characteristics out, you know, might have to think through that and explain that. But um, similar but different. Yeah, a lot of you know center ground on the Venn diagram with with those two guys. So I I got to tiptoe around this because I don't want to get in trouble. It's not an anti-Kirk Cousins thing. I'm just relaying what I've been told from other conversations with former teammates of both years. They like Kirk. They always liked him. And it had nothing to do even as a player. But I've heard it from a couple different guys on the team years after, like years after the fact, that you were more one of the guys. Like they just, they viewed you more as like one of them, like just a teammate. And Kirk was a little bit more... Not that he wasn't a leader. He was celebrated as a great leader and won awards for his leadership and all that. But they viewed him as a little bit more, you know, kind of silo, island, laser focused. You were more one of them, one of the guys. Not, you know, it's, it's tough to phrase it because they were very clear that they was not, oh, Kirk thought he was hot shit. It was, yeah. He was just so hyper focused and narrowly focused and you were more approachable and just more part of the team on a camaraderie standpoint that's their perspective i don't do you have any like opinion on that do you feel that's a fair characterization that you were more um, kind of like amongst the boys even when you were a quarterback you know in that quarterback room yeah i think that that'd be that's a leadership style you know for me is to be uh, one with everybody and you know, and sometimes leading from the back in some ways is like knowing those guys that got their back. I, mean, I care about them as people, learning where they're from, uh, spending time with their friends and family and those types, of, like just being them, like one of them and trying to understand where they're from, what's important to them. So that was just my leadership style and that's my personality, you know, and I think even what I get asked is uh, most is, you know, do you miss football? And what I really miss is, uh, the bro- your brothers, like the camaraderie, the locker room, the 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 busting balls, like that. That's really what you miss. Of course, like 
you can't replicate the competition and going out there with people that you've, you've bled and sweat and cried with and, you know, train all day, every day for something to accomplish something. You can't replace that type of competition in anything in business. I don't care what you say. Yeah, you missed that. But what we really missed for me was the locker room because I, I, I love the guys like that was a big part of football. Like I love practice. I love training. I loved being around everybody and, and experiencing that with people. You're, I mean, it showed with your teammates. I guess there's, I mean, at least three off the top of my head, and these were all, you know, off record in terms of who said it. But um, I can tell you, at least at least two of them afterwards. But yeah, yeah, it's the the perception was that you were just more amongst the boys, and Kirk was more just, you know, kind of a in his own world, not aloof, but you know, it's tough sure. to characterize. But I was curious for your take on it. Have you ever sat back and thought? You know, you're in these two quarterback battles in your college career, and the two guys that, you know, trumped you for the QB1 spot, one of them Heisman Trophy winner, first overall pick, the other second-round pick, but at one point since surpassed had the richest contract in the NFL, mm-hmm. like the history of the NFL. It's like you're in two different fierce competitions, and you lost <laughs> the highest-paid player in NFL history, again, since surpassed, but for like a week there he was. Yeah. And the first overall pick in a Heisman. It's like, can I get a little, a little bit easier competition here, please? Yeah. Like, have you ever thought about the context of those two battles and where those two guys went? And man, it's like if you were in any other spot, not against someone at that stature, like, does that spin in your head at all? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I um, I don't focus a ton on on anything but what's in front of me. I try to be as present as I can, but I'm very forward forward looking and thinking. So I don't actually really dwell on that a whole lot unless somebody you know they bring it up in yeah, conversations sorry. like this <laughs> yeah. but you know like I, I i do take pride in things like you know listen hopefully i brought the best out of those guys and uh put them into a position to compete and hopefully be part of that, that journey and process of allowing them to succeed and seeing that like and knowing the quality of people that they are and seeing the kind of comp- you know the the success that they're having like i am genuinely in my heart like happy for them like i think it's incredible what they've accomplished and would I have accomplished the same things? I don't know, but I was a part of their process and helping them accomplish those things. And, you know, I, if you're spiritual or religious, it, it doesn't matter, but I, I am and I'm a believer for me is like, I think God always has a great grander plan for you. He's going to put you in a position to win based on what's best for you, your life, family, all the dynamics that go along with that. So had those, had I put myself in their seat and gone on and had the successes of football that they had, I think about it all the time. If it happened in Oklahoma, I certainly wouldn't have the, my family, my three kids that I have now, my wife that I have now, the family life I have now, the business I have now. So I'm, and I'm extremely thankful every day for, for what I have going on today. And I wouldn't replace it for the things that come along with maybe successes in football, because there's more to it than just dollars and fame and those types of things. It's a, it's a different world that people don't fully understand the, the good and bad that comes along with 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 that environment and so i love the place that i'm in now and again i don't dwell on it a ton um and i'm happy for those guys and their success yeah i i i talked to mark d'antonio a few years ago and i asked him about you know he like right when he retired and i talked to him about the the qb battle back then and just what that was like and i asked him a little bit about you know the Maxwell thing too with Cook and I just I find that stuff fascinating and kind of where his head was at in his progression and you know he he said a lot of what you said just you know neck and neck and all that stuff and gave both guys a chance and mentioned the injury and all that with your um, I think it was your elbow uh, but he he said something that really resonated with me he said that the way you handled 
the transition to receiver and the teammate you were was one of the great stories of his entire time there. And I don't know if he's ever said that to you, but that's what he told me was that it's it's not that it was no one talked about it because it was a thing. Oh, what a great Spartan. But that was one of his favorite stories in his entire tenure. There was Keith Nickel off the Oklahoma situation. Again, you know, had a bad break that was a, a you know part of why it ended up going to Kirk. The way you handled that really meant a lot to him and was a great just example of a, a good teammate and a good Spartan. And Kirk actually addressed that as well. Ben, we can jump to that actually real quick. Kirk Cousins addressing uh, after the fact what it meant to him and the team to have Keith Nickel take that in stride and become a great asset to the team in a different capacity. Well, I think it can't be stated enough, uh, the sacrifice that Keith made, and not only the sacrifice, but the attitude that he's carried through the process. And, and it's hard for fans or for media people to come into the locker room and to see the dynamic in the locker room or to see the attitude on the practice field that Keith brings. He has brought an unparalleled work ethic, an unparalleled positive attitude that um, not only has made uh, the relationship between the two of us as good as it can be, but also uh, the entire team dynamic. And I think his, his selflessness and his sacrifice will be something that will be remembered around here for a long time and will be used as an example for other players who come in here. I mean, taking my word for it about what D'Antonio said, if he didn't say that to you directly <laughs> and what you just saw, I mean, does that mean something to you to have Kirk Cousins, Mark D'Antonio say things like that about you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, to for that to be recognized, uh, it means the world to me. And those are guys that you look up to as always doing the right thing and, and great teammates. And uh, Kirk was a great teammate. And coach D'Antonio is, you know, the greatest coach, you know, I've been fortunate to ever play for. And so that means a lot to me, 100%. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, growing up, like I said, I just wanted to be a part of winning football and to be the best teammate that I could. And fortunately, at the time, I was felt like I had enough maturity to understand that there's a real there's one or two paths you can go down and you have a lot of power in those in one of these two paths the one path is you divide a whole locker room and destroy your team in that moment when it doesn't go your way in a high profile quarterback type battle right because half the team's with you half the team you never know or you'd be a great teammate and unify the team and hopefully you come back and play the best football we ever could because now we're we're all working together no matter what adversity we face and if you can persevere through those types of challenges and show those other people that you can do that that just in, you know enhances the culture that you have um and i think it gets a lot of other people to sacrifice in ways that maybe they didn't anticipate sacrificing too so i understood what that decision meant to to be a great teammate in that moment and i took that very seriously do you think you make a different decision if you're in this situation today with the different transfer rules where you could have played immediately you could have gotten out of east lansing been in a third quarterback competition maybe or maybe even promised a spot as Peyton Thorne essentially was at Auburn. Do you think it shakes out differently if this happens to you in 2022-2023? Yeah, it's that's the first time I've been asked that question. It's a good question. I don't know what I would have done in that situation um, given the parameters that are available today. Um, I'd like to think that in being raised in a good family with when you make a commitment, you stick to it, right? Type of mentality that I would have stuck and been a great teammate for Michigan State. Cause I, like I said, I came back to Michigan State cause I love Michigan State. It wasn't so much about like, this is the perfect program for me and perfect fit. It was like, I wanna be at, I wanna be at Michigan State. I wanna be a player at Michigan State. And I think 
that would have been a very hard thing for me to disengage from. Um, if I was, if the portal and NIL environment were what it is today. Yeah, you would not have to sit out today. I mean, that's it's a different calculus, really. I, th- I think it'd be more tempting. But I, mean, I kind of think you'd stay too. I, it just seems that that was sort of the, you know, where you were at mentally. And that's obviously you're more equipped to answer it than I am. I just, I got the sense that, you know, you were really, it just what, what we saw you do and the way you handled it, that was not someone that was begrudging their existence in East Lansing. You seem to really lean into it. That, I mean, and you had a really good case. You see other guys like Damian Terry, who was a fan favorite and, and didn't pan out. And thank you forever for 2015 in Columbus. And yeah, you, you never say a bad word about him. Like he's aces with me. And same thing with, uh, you know, Tyler. But I just I think that's not a guy that had demonstrated on the field that he could play at a high level. Like you were pretty good when you played. <laughs> you had, like you proved you could play like this guy could clearly be a power five starting quarterback at a high level. And that brings me to my last point before we move on. It, this is one of my hottest takes, and it actually just came up organically. My friend Matt Sheehan, great guy, Locked On Spartans host, and just does an awesome job. And he, he posits these questions, and he wants, you know, wants Spartan Nation to get his wheels turning on his show. So he asked, Ben, can you throw that up there? Hey, throw me, throw me your opinion. Give me a take about anything MSU-related. I'm going to blindly defend it. And this was back in April. I said this way before I knew you were ever coming on, before we had ever met. I said, Keith Nichols should have won the job over Kirk Cousins. (laughs) Now, this is an actual, it was not just for the sake of this exercise. When I was there as a student who loved Kirk Cousins, big Kirk Cousins guy, I will go to my grave thinking, and obviously there was an injury, So, but like we got to take that out of it. Let's say that didn't happen. I will go to my grave saying everything would have been just fine if you were the starter, I don't think anything would have been lost in terms of wins and losses. And I think there would have been an element of that offense that was not there with Kirk. It's not a knock on Kirk. Kirk was, and I think, you know, you could argue Cook passed him after, but at one point was the best quarterback in the history of the program. Love Kirk Cousins. I just think what you added there, and you were really, people forget, you were really good when you played. Go look up the guy's highlights or just his stats. Keith Nichols is a hell of a player. You're the actual guy. That's my real take. That was my take that not that, oh, Kirk Cousins sucks, but things would have been fine. And I would have loved to see the Keith Nickel version where everything was centered around you. It wasn't the Keith Nickel package and the Cousins package. If it had been built around you, I think you would have excelled as a starter and the program would have been just as good, just as successful in that run. Am I crazy? I appreciate the take. I mean, um, you know, listen, I think things would have had to come together in a, in a, in a unique way. And like you said, I think the, uh, the playbook probably would have, to, would have had to evolve or modify or, uh, to, in order to give the team the best chance to win, I think the playbook would have had to probably modify or evolve or change because um, like Kirk was the perfect fit for that style of offense at the time. And Kirk was a tremendous, uh, when people ask about his style of play for Kirk, like he's one of the best game managers I've ever watched. Like he will execute the playbook in the offense as coached, as taught on cue every single time without a flaw. And so when I watch like Kirk playing, it's, and if there's ever anything that doesn't go right, I'm like, that was probably just bad coaching call. Like without even, question, even, now, mind, even now, even like now in, in the, the NFL, NFL, them, you know, ending the season the way they did. I'm like, that was just a terrible play call. 
He didn't call that. He executed the call based on the coverage that was given to him. And that might be the knock on him is that he doesn't do a lot of hero ball either. He's just not out there looking on his own instinctually to make the big play. And I think those are the things that um, instinctually maybe my game brought was I was maybe looking for that big play and not to manage to a T the same way he did. That's just how I played it. I was looking, hey, let's take a shot. Now's the time to take a shot, whether it's in the playbook or not. Let's let's make it happen, you know, if, if it called for it. So it was just a mentality thing that was completely different. And I appreciate what you said. Hopefully we would have had a lot of success too. And uh, that's my know, take. Some big, some big plays made maybe. Yeah, I, that's, I, that was, my, and that was my opinion. That was not just for this show. I said it at the time and I, you know, I love Kirk Cousins. I think it's like it, the, the point is either way would have been great. Like yeah, either outcome would have been great, but it is with the caveat. And I think I said that it would, the offense would have had to have been adjusted. Yeah. So I, I mean, I wouldn't want him in the ideal Keith nickel offense either. So it'd be right. that I don't think he would succeed in that capacity. Right. So yeah, I, I don't know, man. You were they didn't have it built around you, and when you were out there, you were still good. I I, I thought you were a hell of a quarterback, honestly. It's just that's why it's you kind of rooting for both guys. It's one of those situations yeah. where you know, shit. I wish you could both just play and both be the QB one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't think you could really go wrong in that situation. So that that's my opinion, and I am sticking to it. You so you repudiate the Kirk Cousins. NFL stuff. I thought that was kind of interesting. You said that where you know people criticize them or he gets some flack, and you you do you kind of roll your eyes at that? Is there some fairness to the Sunday at one p.m. Kirk Cousins thing? Yeah. So if you talk to any owner or GM, anybody who knows football and looks at football as a game of chess and not checkers, and I kind of keep using that analogy, like somebody that genuinely understands strategy and football, all every GM, every coach, every owner loves Kirk Cousins the way he manages a game and, and does what is asked of him. The fans don't like it because what do they like? They like the big play. They like the hero ball, the scramble play, the the play that wasn't designed that, you know, the maybe the Kyler Murray style. Like they, But that's not what Kirk is at the same time. Like I think Kirk in his style of game and what's asked of him, he's elite. And it's very hard to debate that. Um, you said game manager, though. That's That has a negative connotation for a lot of people. Um, well, I certainly didn't mean it that way. No, no, I, I know, no, no. I'm, big I know you're not. I know you're not saying that. I'm saying people view that as a negative. I mean, I don't, I, I'll have to pull up my own tweet. I'm going to yeah. look it up because I, I tweeted about this. I don't know a couple months ago, saying that I think he gets a bad rap too, and I am the guy that just made the the pro Keith Nickel <laughs> Michigan State argument. But as someone that loves Cousins, and yeah, this is me in April. I said people treat Kirk Cousins like a punching bag. He's been in the league for 11 years, 230 million dollars made. He's got the sixth highest completion percentage of all time. He's at the time, and he's since added to this, 23rd all-time in touchdown passes. He's got the eighth highest QBR ever. He's got the most game-winning drives in a single season in NFL history, eight, which he just did. So it's like, if I got the eighth best QBR ever, not yeah. QB rating, QBR, which is sort of the, the more modern, accurate assessment, yeah. I'm the eighth best ever. Like I, that, guy's, that guy does not suck. Like I don't know why people... Have that takeaway with that guy. You know, the um, people generally, the average fan is is all eyeballs. They're looking at him. What's his stature? How's he looking at his jersey? Is he big, tall, athletic? Can he run fast? All those things. Like, like I get it. He's not your first guy off the bus. Like, fair statement. He's not Cam Newton. He doesn't have that frame. He's not that player. But if 
football, especially at that level, there's strategy on top of strategy on top of strategy on top of strategy. There's layers to this thing um, and tactics. And he is extremely bright, executes the offense to a T. Um, now, if he throws it short on third and long, um, because the play call was such that a certain coverage forced him to throw it that way, then I say, is that his fault or is that just a terrible play call? Who's, who, you know, there's an old coordinator also pay, being paid $10 million a year to call the right play. And that was a bad play call. So I think they're steering their attention maybe at the wrong guy a lot of times. I just think if you're outside of that top tier, like the Mahomes, you know, like the, the, the very top, I would never argue Cousins like a top three or four guy. But like one level down, man, I, I'll take them all day. And I've been a big Jared Goff defender here locally. And there's a lot of similarities there where it's like they're going to have a high completion percentage. They're not hero ball. They're going to be responsible. And there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah, if your biggest problem is, uh, with Kirk is that he's not Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, then I think we got different different problems to address. Like yeah. the maybe the best quarterbacks in the history of football. But that's like, people, people, that's, and that was the point of what I said, you know, a few months ago. Yeah. It's, it's people are saying like, uh, oh, like this guy's garbage. It's, it's look at every objective. First of all, you don't get and that, that there's never been a bad contract in sports, but you don't get that contract if you're bad. You just no. don't, you're not the highest paid player ever for three days. If you're bad, you don't have the eighth highest QBR ever. You don't have the sixth best right. completion percentage ever. You don't have eight game winning drives to set an NFL record in one season if you're bad. Yeah. I just, how long does this guy have to be good before people kind of drop that? I get it. He's not Mahomes. No one even said that. It's a straw man argument to begin with, right? Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, the expectation, like what they're asking him to do or be is just not who he is. He's, he's elite at what he is. Um, and to your point, the numbers don't lie. Yeah, and it's overall, I mean, again, 12 years, going on 12 years now. So, yeah, I, despite being the Keith Nickel camp for the MSU yeah. thing. That's probably what drives his, his chip on his shoulder. I think at some point, even Kirk, as humble and as hardworking as he is, at some point he's got to be saying, what more do I have to do to get my respect? Well, if he wins a title, they'll leave him alone or, gets, or even gets to a Super Bowl. But, again, that's, you know, it's not an individual. We're not, it's not tennis. No. <laughs> it's, it's hard to do. I just I don't I view him as the least of the problems of any team he's on. And I felt that way about golf, too. Everyone was shitting all over golf. It's like at the end with the Rams, it's like you look around. I mean, they got their shit right the next year. They were a mess. I mean, Gurley was hurt. They had yeah. no run game. They couldn't block. And right. They had no time. It's right. Like, come on. Like, is golf really the problem? So anyway, I digress. All right, let's move on. We're going to go through this kind of quick because I, I was really into your sort of path and, and all that. But. Apologies in advance. I have to talk about Rocket. I'm not going to yeah. have you here and not talk about Rocket. I mean, it's, uh, it's on my wall in the hall. It was my first homecoming back. One of the great all-time Michigan State tailgates. I talked about that earlier today. You know, it's October 22nd, 2011. Sixth-ranked, undefeated Wisconsin in town. ESPN College game day is there. It was like yeah. 57, 58 degrees all day. Yeah. It was just an awesome backdrop irrespective of the game you're in this situation you're down i don't know how much you remember of the actual game the play i know you've talked to death i'm sure but you're down 14 nothing like pretty fast yeah it was and the crowd is already you know shit, it was the most epic seven hours of tailgating ever and we're down 14 nothing it's like jesus you rally back it was an awesome game you're kind of 
I think not playing for overtime because you chucked it down there, but I think most people were thinking, okay, this is going to OT. Take me into that situation where you're in the huddle. When does that play come in the helmet? When does that happen? How does that play out where you know, okay, we're going for this this Hail Mary attempt at the end of regulation? Yeah. So, you know, just to kind of piggyback your comments, that the game had a lot of drama on back and forth. They get up 14-0. Uh, we we come back, we get up, then they tie it up. Um and sports, especially at the college level, in my opinion, momentum is everything. And so I think for us, uh, at least I felt this way, Wisconsin had the momentum at the time of us getting our last possession. And we were hoping to get in a position to throw, win the game, get to a field goal position, or get at least in a position to throw a Hail Mary into the end zone, which for Kirk really means he has to be right around probably the 50 to get that like kind of a meaningful opportunity to get him down there, throw a 60 yard football down that way. So, um, and if you look back at the tape, we, we, I think we had a fumble, which almost gave them the ball in field goal, uh, in a field goal position that probably for them to win the game. And so we kind of stumble our way up towards the 45, 44 yard line and certainly too far away to kick a field goal. What people don't remember probably is that we actually, called rocket to the field which means the wide side of the field and this is a this is a play that we practice every i think friday in walkthroughs it's the hail mary rocket um and on rocket i was supposed to be the point man and bj was supposed to be where i ended up being if you remember that game bj had a lights out game he played great everything he touched was pretty much end zone or points uh, didn't drop the ball. And so we call a timeout. We flip to the boundary, which is the short side of the field, Wisconsin side at the time. Um, the coaches say, hey, let's switch BJ, put you in Keith's spot, because if it actually gets to where it's supposed to, we think if BJ can get his hands on, he's going to catch the ball because he's had a great game. Keith, you take BJ's spot. Like, 100%. He's lights out. Let's go. You know, And um, because we had practiced that so many times, I knew exactly where to be. He knew where to be. And the ball gets thrown to that spot, two yards in the end zone, exactly where it's supposed to be, goes through, uh, I think, Eberdaris's hands, hits BJ right in, right through the hands and onto the helmet. So they'll probably the only ball he didn't catch that night and uh, bounces right to exactly where he would have been. So um, it's just amazing how life works out that way. And I just remember the ball kind of floating, what felt like it was floating forever. Everything's in slow motion. You grab the ball, and I'm thinking like, I'm just going to kind of lunge in here and we get the games over. Cause you, at the time you don't see anybody or feel anybody. Well, as soon as I grab the ball, you're getting grabbed by everybody. And so all I remember is just twisting my body, trying to get the ball across the goal line. And it felt like half my body was over the end zone. Cause I knew my helmet and shoulder pads were and everything, but when they called it short, man, I was like, what a wasted opportunity. There's no way that ball didn't cross the end zone. And now it's leaving it up to fate and can the TV see if the ball did cross? Did I have full possession? Was the ball moving? All these things start to run through your head. And the review took 10 minutes long. Or at least I think it took at least 10 minutes it long. It felt took like forever. that in the crowd, man. They gave us a call. I remember Coach D saying, it's a touchdown. They just got to give us a call. And I was like, no. Well, man. that's because he's got that he's got the from upstairs, right? Correct, yeah. So he's yeah. talking to the coaches. They're looking at it. They can, they're like, they got to give us a call. It's a touchdown. And so um, I, feel, I feel like I was the last one in the stadium to realize it was a touchdown because I'm like listening for the ref 
to call it a touchdown. And if you recall, he like kind of muffles or stumbles through that. Oh, I recall. The whole place goes nuts. Yeah. And that's how I realized that they call it a touchdown because I actually didn't hear him say uh, that it was a, that The was crowd a... didn't know for a second because he gar- – <laughs> let's run the whole play, Ben. He, got, yeah. gar- he garbles it out. And that's what, even for announcing that we were having you in studio today, I kind of did a play on that. It's like, can you get this out, please? It's kind of an important thing. It sounds like he was saying didn't. I remember in the crowd being like, wait, what? Just for a split right, second. Yeah. Like, wait, what did he say? And then he, you know, gets it out and then does the little touch on. And he gets the fuck out of there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That? But he, he wanted no part of that. And I don't blame him. All right, <laughs> Ben, let's roll the play. We have to do it. Three-man rush. Cousins. On the last play of regulation, chucks it to the end zone. Caught! Michigan State's caught it on a rebound. Cut! Hold on! It is just short of the end zone. Ball was caught by Keith Nickel. Take a look. Abraderis gets in the air and gets a hand on it. Nickel is right in the front. It comes right into his hands as the ball crossed the plane. Taylor is fighting like crazy to prevent it from breaking the plane. Boy, it, it was really close. Look at Abraderis gets up in the air. The ball goes off of Sims and Cunningham. Nickel is right there. And Taylor's doing everything he can to keep the ball away from breaking the plane. So instant replay will decide it. Remember, the call on the field is no touchdown. Indisputable to turn this over. Remember that as Nickel was battling and Taylor had him wrapped up. After further review, the runner did cross the line. The Touchdown, Michigan State. With a miracle ending. <laughs> Poor yeah. BJ was a record-setting <laughs> receiver at the school. I think that was his senior year, too. Right? Yeah. It was awesome that game, like as you mentioned. I just don't like the last guy you would expect, but that is it's a function of it's an unnatural football play. Like yeah. you don't I mean, I know you practice it, but it's not the normal reception, like a lob just with seven guys all around you standing there. It's, yeah. it's an unnatural thing. I see I always thought the design was because someone of the announcers said that not in that clip. Like the you know, oh you just chuck it down there and you, you bat it around. And I thought even Mark had said that at some point. Maybe I'm making that part up. So that it was not the design to have it just kind of you know chuck it down there and bat it around. That that's the premise of the play because the likelihood of you actually getting up and getting hands on it in a, in a way that you can catch the ball is very unlikely. Um, and the reason that they originally had put me in that position as the point man was that their thought was like maybe as a slightly bigger receiver that like jump up and body up that if I got my hands on it that either one I'm going to tip it to the right spot or maybe potentially catch it. That is how how it was always designed. BJ having the game that he had, catching everything the way he did, they're like, if anybody's going to catch it, it's going to be him. But, yeah, the premise is just to make sure the ball doesn't fall to the ground, try to tip it or, you know, get a full catch on it. Um, what was B- this, yeah, Oh, go sorry. Go, no, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Go. No. And you're being surrounded by, you know, um, three other players that can potentially get their hands on it. It's not just throwing it to the end. Some some teams you watch that throw a Hail Mary in the end zone, it's just complete chaos like there's no structure to it everybody just running the end zone and hopefully somebody comes up with it that wasn't our thought or how we ever designed it that's why i always say like chuck the ball down there i know there's always the chance something terrible happens you know strip sack or whatever but i hate when teams take a knee there it's like just throw the ball down there and that that was why so it was bj obviously he was lingering right next to you because he's on your back like immediately after yeah. the ruling was he in your ear during that lengthy review saying Oh shit, man! I can't believe that hit my face. Or like, what was his dialogue um, there? Well, BJ and I had a 
like a special relationship while we we're up at Michigan State from the time I was there. We were always very close and good friends. And so we were always, I feel it's funny, like I feel like in a lot of clips you find us just standing next to each other on the sideline or being together or doing something. And, you know, I felt sick, you know, I was sick for myself. I was sick for him in the moment of like, how did we just blow this opportunity? And he's saying, I just can't believe I didn't catch that. I can't believe I didn't catch that. How did that, you know, how is this happening? And, um, you know, for us in that moment to be kind of by each other and that to get announced that the win happens the way it did. And um, that was a fun celebration. <laughs> my, my son watches the highlight, my three and a half year old son. And at first I think he thought BJ was trying to hurt me. And uh, he's like, why is that guy trying to hurt you? Why is he jumping on your back? And then you know, my wife explains to him that we're celebrating. And now uh, he loves BJ now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, any Spartan is going to want BJ. Man, that guy was so awesome. I just I felt bad for him when they showed the replay at, like the first time at the stadium, and this is like rare for them to show a replay, but uh, back then they, they're better about it now. But I remember saying, oh, my God, that hit B.J. Cunningham in the face because I didn't catch it live. I just thought yeah. I thought someone like tipped it. I don't know. My I head. think he thought somebody was going to tip it. I think that's well, why I hit Aber- him in the How face. did Aberdeers miss it? I mean, yeah. He jumped way too early. missed time to jump. It was unbelievable. Well, it goes again to that being an unnatural football play. And, you know, what's he's, he's not normally in that position to begin with. But, right. yeah, I mean, that was such a – incredible moment and for bj of all people to i'm not gonna say blow it i mean it's a weird wonky play but to have that happen and the picture of him i mentioned it earlier today where he's just he's, he's like doing yeah. like in the surrender cobra just horrified pose and right behind him it's i mean you were ruled out that's why you did that uh ruled short and uh, just what a cool what a cool moment and obviously you guys you know transitioning a little bit you end up going um, to Wisconsin, uh, the Wisconsin rematch in Indianapolis, you played them again. Just before we get to that, putting a button on the rocket play, does that annoy you that like people like me always have to ask you about that? Is that I, like I've talked to Jalen Watch Jackson about this? Like he's he's like, uh, please bring it up every time. I'll, I'll talk about that play all day. Is it weird? In your case, though, because you're a little different, Jalen, that was his play. He's a special teams guy. You were actually a major contributor as a player, aside from this one kind of wonky play. Does, is it annoying? Is it a privilege? Like, what's your You know, I, I, th- I think it's definitely a privilege if you're going to be remembered um, for an ex- a very extended period of time for anything with any in anything that you do. So I'm honored and privileged that the Spartan alumni, the fan base will always hopefully, you know, remember that play and I'll be affiliated with that. And that's probably the first thing that gets brought up for a lot of people. Cause I mean, I can't tell many people say, I know exactly where I was uh, when that play happened. Oh, I was on the goal line. I was in the stadium. Um, that was my first game. I was with my son. I was, uh, the stories go on and on. And I love that. Um, as a player, I'm, you know, part of myself to your point is thinking like, oh, there's a lot more, oh, you know, ho- hopefully a lot more that uh, was contributed to the team and the program than that. Um, so I wouldn't say it bothers me at all, um, but I kind of probably internally laugh about it more than anything. So, okay, so they can come up to you and not feel too bad if yeah. they say. Uh, it's actually my second favorite play. My favorite play is the, uh, the lateral that I have uh, going out of bounds uh, that I throw back to BJ because that is. That's, that actually is, the better, uh, that's actually the better play. That was play. off cue, yeah. Because that, that, I mean, you were insane to do it, but let's get to that. So you're you're, yeah. in, you're in Indianapolis. I mean, great, great, great. I, I will get to that. I, I have so many yeah. questions about that, and I'll try to be quick. So you're in Indianapolis for this rematch. I just 
Again, you were an underdog just like you were in the first game. I think it, you guys closed like a nine point or something. You were like a considerable underdog, which I thought was bizarre. I know for a fact you covered despite what happened in the game. So what is that environment like in Indianapolis? I think that was the first Big Ten title game, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's I, I was there. I thought it was wild. Just on the field. What was that experience like just, you know, before we get too much into the details of the game itself? I mean, it was it was definitely a highlight of my career was that experience of going to the Big Ten title game. The first one, you're in Indianapolis, you know, you're staying up in the hotels there getting ready for a, a big time game and a rematch against a team that, you know, probably felt like holistically they outplayed us slightly in East Lansing, which I would say, like, I think they played a slightly better football game than us. And we had the last, the last possession, and that's what it came down to. It was a very volatile game. They were up, we were up, back and forth. We just had the ball last, right? And that's what it came down to. And so to have a rematch on that, the intensity was certainly there, and we know that we crashed their party. They're probably on the way to the national championship game had they won that game. Like, they had the, a straight line to that. People forget. Just look at their, like, game by game that season after – I mean, before they came in undefeated, but, like, after you guys beat them in October, they were, like, bulldozing teams. Crushing they, them. They were I mean, just – their O-line was so good. Their running backs, Russell Wilson, it was unbelievable. Their defense, uh, lights out, you know. And so uh, now they got the last laugh on us in the Big Ten Championship, but uh, it's funny how things kind of come full circle. I felt like we outplayed them and we played a better football game. Totally than them. agree. And that's what hurts the most, you know, as an athlete. It's like you feel like you play a better game and the outcome is still not reflecting that. Uh, that's the stuff that hurts. And so uh, that was pro- that was also the best, one of the best experiences, but also the most painful. Are you ever like laying in a hammock with a Corona and thinking, man, that damn Big Ten championship game, we had it. Like, is that something that haunts to some degree still? Well, I remember going into halftime and um, in the locker room, and I was a more vocal leader uh, as my career went on as a senior that year. So I just remember going to the locker room, like, we got these, you know, explicit, like, we no, got them. you can say it on We got show. them. Yeah, you know, yeah. We got yeah. them. Like, this is, we're playing better ball. We're, we, are, we are winning this game. And I've never seen Coach D, like, so confident and, like, we had them like we knew we were playing better football than them and um a couple plays the 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 punt that we had there at the end that we kept roughing the punter on Keyshawn takes it down that's just one moment but we felt like through the whole game we were we were out playing them they had their moments no doubt they're a good team but we felt like we played a better football game what's the and I know you're on the wrong side of the ball maybe for this question this might be you know better question for someone on the defensive side but Russell Wilson no one saw the NFL stardom coming, I don't think. That's why the third-round thing was a third-round thing. Yeah. But coming out of NC State, the incredible statistical year he was having and you know, still played well against you guys the first time, how much was he part of the discussion leading up to that game? To, to the extent that you're aware, I know as an offensive player it's different, but was it like the Russell Wilson hour in the game plan that you're aware of? Yeah, I the way I remember it is that the hyper focus was on stopping the run, and their whole line was pretty much an NFL line. It felt like, and they had um, two NFL running backs. Who was their Who was their top running back that year? I get all their. They've had so Wasn't many. It, they had Michael what? Bennett, like right Monty before. Monty Ball, Monty Ball, and Ball White, uh, something White. Because um, um, Michael Bennett was like the teams before that. 
Um, was it was it Ball was the Monty top Ball guy? was number twenty eight. He was their primary guy, but they. Had, I thought Ball was like the number two. Whatever. This is yeah. terrible radio, but I, I'm just wondering aloud because I, I remember their offensive line was just ridiculous. I remember that feeling like that was the focus because I think we felt like we had a good enough. Like that was the, where the matchup was going to be the hardest for us because I think we felt like we had really good DBs, safeties, corner play that would help mitigate the pass game. Their receivers, in my opinion, weren't. They had Nick Toon, good player. Aberderis, good player. But I'll take our corners and safeties over those guys. Um, so I think we felt good about that matchup. So the focus is like, how do you stop this run? Because if you remember the first game, they were beating us up on the run. They were pounding them, yeah. pounding us. So we did a great job of stopping the run. And you know, then Russell Wilson has a couple of big plays that he kind of scrambles and, and gets it out. One for a touchdown to Aberderis, where he's kind of left alone on the corner blitz. And then another one... Um, where he kind of throws his own little Hail Mary down to Duckworth for a first down. What did that team do in the Rose Bowl when they went? I was too depressed to watch. I don't even remember. Ben, look that up. What did Wisconsin do in the Rose Bowl? And it would have been January 1, 2012. I thought they won, but I'm not I'm I feel not sure. like they won, too. And I know Wilson played. It wasn't like one of those sit-out situations, and he wouldn't have been a candidate really for that anyway. That, that team, I think, is one of the sort of forgotten great college teams. And yeah. you're... We're part probably of the reason, the that reason they get why. forgotten. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's probably like your fault or yeah. your credit or however you want to phrase that. Yeah. I mean, they were destroying teams, and there's a reason why like, you guys were really good. And I'm pretty sure you were a 10 point underdog. You were a considerable underdog going in, even though you had beaten them and had a really good team yourselves. And it's it was, it was such a great because you had an elite rushing attack, you had an elite offensive line, and you had a quarterback that was for college, you know, he later proved to be NFL elite too, but college elite and he could scramble so it's like how you have a great offensive line with the rushing attack to support him and you can't touch the guy even if you do get to him it was such a daunting team to face yeah i mean well one michigan state's always kind of you know underappreciated um at least it seems that way on the vegas odds but it's the you know the eyeball test and what moves those odds is if you watch the way wisconsin was winning games it was like they were doing whatever they would they wanted they're just Run the ball down your throat, wearing you out, popping the score way up. We would win the games. It just wasn't as sexy or as dominant as they would, you know, with the with their wins. And so, um, we were hyper confident going in, though, man. We, you know, and especially in halftime, we thought we had our foot on their throat and we were ready to to end the game. They had a couple of things that went their way. Um, I thought, and they had. hung around, and you know, so that was a pain. That was a painful one. That was the most painful loss. Well, let's give ourselves a pain core and watch yeah. your favorite play. Yeah, <laughs> and di- dial it up for us. This is, I mean, I this is honestly my favorite play of yours too. Just in, in terms of the play in a vacuum, I thought this was. I mean, this was an absurd thing to even attempt, but it was awesome. <laughs> uh, let's run the lateral. First down and goal to the ten yard line for Michigan State, trying to tie this game up. Cousins, far side, ball caught. Nicole handed it. gets to the corner. He's being tackled by Antonio Henry and Antonio Finellis. Excuse me, Aaron Henry and Antonio Finellis. He makes the play. 
I mean, anytime people are in that similar spot now, like NFL, college doesn't matter. Like the guy's standing right there, you're on the side. I'm like, dude, then Keith Nickel, like shovel it off to him. Yeah. Obviously, that was not anything endorsed by anybody with a headset. That was you going rogue, right? Yeah, completely rogue. That, um, you know, for the fans listening, that that play is designed to be a run play, uh, number one, and it just has an option automatically that to throw a bubble screen. And so if you watch the clip, uh, if you were to run it back or the fan goes back and watches it again, the reason BJ is looking back is because I'm not calling it a lazy play, but he's looking back to see if the bubble screen was actually thrown because I think we both thought that the ball was going to get ran at that time. Um, and so the, the defender sheds the block. Uh, BJ misses the assignment, but he's sitting right there. And, you know, we do this like walking mini football game where you're just going to walk and you pass the ball to each other and lateral lateral around and like what we do in the locker room around the field before games just kind of messing around and that's probably what sparked that instinctual just kind of messing around and playing backyard ball um but yes that was not endorsed by any coaches when i got off the sideline coach d was excited but my uh i think Dave Warner was great play, but don't ever do that shit again. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, don't ever do that. And I again. was thinking in my head, I'm like, well, I'm a senior and I only got one more game after this, so the likelihood is very low. <laughs> so I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's gonna be two laterals. Yeah, it's kind of it's just so funny because you guys were both like party to these bizarre touchdowns in the same year against the same opponent. Yeah, where, I mean, clanks off his face mask in the first game yep. into your hands for this. You know, incredibly famous iconic yeah. play he gave me the opportunity in the first game so i thought i'd give it back to yeah that's what i'm game. saying it's like you know <laughs> hey i got you in the end zone the first time and yeah. return the favor it's just like what are the odds like the same two guys against the same opponent both weird touchdowns and it was just man it makes me nostalgic for that era i just i love those teams those d'antonio teams and so you you said mark wasn't pissed at you he was thrilled with the, the play I, well i think you know as a fan to to remember that like your whole season's on the line and anything goes and that's where we were at. Um, so what, 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 what is there to be said there is players are trying to do everything they can to win games and it's a, a risk, a high risk, but it, it paid off. I mean, I, I could make the argument that it was a brilliant play because standing right there, I mean, he was right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you got, thank, thank he's God he's, uh, you know, I, we were able to, moving slow enough motion where I could see that he was looking for the ball at a lateral it blindly kind of like a, the Reggie Bush play that he had against Texas. Yeah. That, that didn't work out so good. No. So BJ was ready for it and uh, he took care of business afterwards. Well, that was going to be my last question. So was there, there was a little bit of eye contact there. Like, cause if he wasn't ready for it, that was the only way that wasn't going to go well. He right. was going to catch it. If yeah. he saw it. Right? Yeah. Um, he saw it coming from everything that I could tell yeah. through the visors, you know, but yeah. you never know if, if he turns his eyes off it in that moment. I mean, he looked ready for it. He, he looked like yeah. it was like the hacky sack thing that you guys did around the facility, you know, the, the passing it back and forth. Like it, it honestly looked like a, a bastardized version of a, a hook and lateral. Like that's kind of what it looked like a, yeah. a bastardized version, but it, it looked like a prepared play. It, it was cleaner than you might think. I love that play. The crowd went absolutely crazy in the, the Spartan section when that happened. It was like, holy shit. And, you know, if you get wrapped there, that those second and goal line, like from the, what, nine? I mean, that's... Yeah. It's not a good place to be. It's, the field's all cramped together. And yeah, yeah it's, that would have been a tough spot. So huh, it worked out. So, I well, Ben, when we were going over everything, um, you know, we run through media, we do our sound checks, all that good stuff. Um, I did have them at the last second poll, the... Uh, the final play, which you mentioned. It's the 
Today was the first day I've seen that play since I was there. Uh, I've avoided it. If it comes on, I've looked away. I've averted my eyes. But I had to ask you about it because you're the first one on that team that I've had in studio and that I've sat and, and asked these questions. So I'm going to run the play. This will now be the third time I've ever seen it, the second time in an hour and a half. Uh, ben, can you please run the, the what was effectively the final play of the Big Ten Championship game in 2011? A number of times tonight. Gets it up. This one more than a drive and a flag. Martin to the sideline. Martin. Martin dives. He goes down inside the five, but a flag on the punt. Wow. And it looks and it looks like they got to the punter. And if Wisconsin gets the ball back, Michigan State is out of timeouts. Running into the kicker. Number nine, defense. at five-yard penalty. The result, first down. See, frankly, I'm a little surprised they came after it so hard because oh. that's a nice job by Norman. Let me tell you, this is a really nice job by him because he leaves the leg up there. Okay, well, I could take a 20-minute break and... <laughs> try to recover from that but this is quite a note to to wrap this topic on but I, i'm curious for your take on it i'm standing there at the game at lucas oil just saying as the punt is getting set up just don't touch the punter like there was like a minute and 40 seconds left we were moving the ball really well all day all year all year that was a good good you know receiving core really good quarterback maybe on bell just don't touch the punter and then the second that flag comes out, a lot of people didn't notice or you know didn't realize my now wife was cheering because Keyshawn Martin is ripping up the sideline. I, I thought it was crazy to have sent someone that hard after him. What's your take on the strategy there? Do you buy the Isaiah Lewis was blocked into him, so it's not really his fault? Like, what's your interpretation of what happened there? Um, Isaiah Lewis had a great football game that whole game. I think he even had an interception, a pretty challenging one on the sidelines. He had a great game. Um, our style was to be aggressive, selectively aggressive. That was like D'Antonio's like mantra almost. So I like the call to be aggressive and to send somebody at him. Uh, the time was limited. I think we had a little bit over a minute. It was like a minute 40. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know, Ben, I don't know if you can throw it up like on mute just at the beginning and double check that. Um, it was like a minute and a half at least. Um, yeah, I think when they were lining up. So a minute 55. Yeah. Cause I remember like Keyshawn ripping up the sideline for the play that never was. And it was like a minute 39 or something. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of time, man. Yep. I mean, that's a lot. And, and the, the hitting the punter had absolutely nothing to do with the way that return went. I right. don't think, no, I mean, I don't, I didn't see anybody stop. Like mm. that would have happened if they don't touch the punter. Right. So I, I just, that's a lot of time with Kirk Cousins. You had what thirty nine points in that game already. Yeah, I just I don't send them. So you're okay with the decision to go for it? There, I don't mind it. Um, a minute left, I'm with you, but not with a minute fifty five. I'm I'm I lean on the side of being uh, very strategically aggressive, and so in that moment, it's let's go get the punt. Um, now, the disclaimer there is you got to talk to your guys in the huddle and I'm sure maybe the comment did or didn't, I don't know. You have to tell your guys, Oh, you can't, 
you can't touch the punter. If you're not there, don't touch the punter. Did he get shoved into him a little bit? Yeah, he got he clipped the shoulder and probably threw him off course a little bit. How do you bail on that in the moment? I don't know as an athlete, but you know, as, as and he'd be the first one to tell you if you're sitting here, as you know, he'd say, you know, I shouldn't have put myself in a position to to run into the punter. So kids are playing their their hearts out at the end of the day and trying to do what they can to win football games, and it was a a miscalculation. And it's interesting because afterward, D'Antonio fell on the sword and and did say, you know, that's on me. Like I told him to go after him. We could have called, you know, punt safe or whatever, but, you know, whatever kind of the conservative, just standard formation there. Do you think he was taking the bullet for his guy there or, uh, you know, just kind of covering for him? Because the conspiracy, you know, amongst fans is, you know, he was shielding his player on that. Um. Isn't that the responsibility of a coach is to probably uh, be a leader of your program and to, at the end of the day, if he's the one calling it, he knows that there's risk that goes along with that. There's a young sophomore that's your gunner there going after it. Yeah. There's risk that goes along with that call. And so you have to, you have to take responsibility for the good and the bad that comes out of that. Well, I mean, the conspiracy is that he didn't really call it <laughs> to, to clarify like that. That was not oh. what was requested, but I, that's just a conspiracy. It's not like a report. No, I don't. The fans think that Isaiah was a smart and coachable kid. I don't perceive him to be going outside of the lines of what was asked him to do and to go rogue. And the other element of that, though, is the blocking into him part aside. That does not get called plenty of times where there's a little bump there and the punter leaves his leg up there for six seconds and flails like he got shot with an elephant gun. Like, I see that not called all the time. And then the punter will throw his arms up and the coach is mad and then the ref will, you know, kind of look at him and shrug. So I see that not called. I I don't think it's a call where I would say, oh, we got screwed or something. I think to me it's like a coin flip. Yeah. You, the ref does have discretion there, but if he is blocked into him by rule, that's not supposed to be a penalty. And I don't know, just because he wasn't like ferociously thrown into him, that little chip is why he stumbles there. Totally. I mean, that's why he stumbled. So I, I don't I, I would never go as far as to say we got screwed there, but we lost a coin toss there. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I mean, it's. They did not have to call that. They could have not called. I mean, it's just like those, you call those critical pass interference calls or critical holding call, whatever it might be. Like, I don't love that they let the maybe the game come down to that. Um, but I wouldn't call flip, that. You know? I, I Honestly, like Spartan goggles aside, I just wouldn't call that as a ref because you decided the game that had no, no bearing. It's one thing about, oh, you know, I have to call holding because they got more time and they could throw a touchdown. Like, that's not even that. I think in the heat of the moment, it looked, you know, if live for the first time you're watching it, it looks worse than it does when you get the chance to watch it through replay and slow-mo and, and all those things. And yeah. so, you know, we're, we're, of course, hindsight is 2020. It looks worse, though, when it's live and what? to the ref's defense. 100%. And, you know, kudos to the punter, even the you know, announcing crew said hey good job selling that one yeah what's the you know button up on that like the the locker room like after that game what is brutal was that your hardest moment you think without question yeah was it quiet was it angry was it sad tears what was it like there uh yeah you you summarized it pretty good it was all those things yeah that was that was a tough one that was you know coaches down everybody everybody's hurting on that one I, there weren't a lot of words. There was there wasn't much to say. 
I was devastated even at the time for Isaiah. Now I'd be, you know, I'm older. I, I'd have even more compassion. But even then, I just, I remember thinking, like, I like Isaiah Lewis. I just felt bad for the kid. Yeah, no, no, nobody in the locker room had any anger or frustration towards Isaiah at all. And um, listen, everybody, you put, you, you put your heart on the line. Everybody gave it everything they could. And what hurt was, we again, we felt like we played the better game and that we felt like we should have won that game. And so that's really what hurt. Not how, how it finished. It's just like we should have won that one. And he, I mean, I give him credit. I remember at the time, you know, I'd have to look up the exact handling of it and the wording of it, but he did, you know, take responsibility. And I mean, was yeah. wise buying, you know, beyond his years with the response. But I just, I can't imagine being one of those guys that are in that situation where, I would never characterize that as he cost them the game. I just said that no. I wouldn't have even called that because I don't think it even happens if he doesn't get chipped and if he gets blocked into him by rule, it's not supposed to be a penalty. But at the same time, like that's he was blamed by people for that, and I just felt for the kid. It's kind of cliche, but you know, games it's never about just one play. And if you go, you could look through the entire film, and there'd be plenty of games where you'd say, "Had we done this? Had we done that?" I mean. Had that you know that little hail mary play, um, that Russell Wilson rolled out on and Duckworth kind of catches a crappy ball and just kind of everybody's a little disheveled. Like if that doesn't happen, uh, you know there's a blitz, a corner blitz that we had him in our Russell Wilson was all but tackled and he slips out of that and throws a touchdown down to Everett Harris. Like there's a lot of plays and on the offense we had opportunities too that we didn't convert on or take advantage of, and so. That's never just about that. And it's it's people don't understand like if you're 20, you don't get it really. Like and you'd have to think exactly where that cutoff is. But it wasn't just we're playing for a Big Ten championship or it's a big game and we lost a big game. It was all that weight of the Rose Bowl drought and how important it was yeah. to that program in particular. And it was something D'Antonio talked about when he first got hired. It's like you know, which people laughed at him in Ann Arbor in particular for even like win the Big Ten, go to the Rose Bowl, Michigan State kind of like pipe down Chachi kind of yeah. thing. It was treated like he was a lunatic. And it was just right there. And so it wasn't just, oh, we lost this game or, oh, we lost the conference championship. It's like you lost the exercising of this demon that's been there for so many years. Totally. You know, well right said. At the time, uh, almost 20 years, 87? So, I mean, it, it was a long time. Yeah. And you were just, it was right there. Yeah. It's, it made it 10 times worse. And then for people like you that was in your last game, it's just, that was one of the toughest ones. Thank God it was redeemed in, in 13. Yeah. And I don't know. Was there a little party, and I'll finish here, the, when Langford breaks free and, and puts Ohio State away, which, you know, obviously two years later. Yeah. Was there a little bit of you that was like, I'm free. Like the Spartans are, you know, the, the devil's dead. Like we're, we're finally free of this. Was yeah, there any bit of that? That's a really interesting like uh, moment to look back to because you know when I was playing, the goal of Big Ten championship get to the Rose Bowl. Those are the goals. So in 2010, we win a Big Ten title, and okay, so that box is checked. Feel good about that, right? Didn't get to the Rose Bowl, and so in watching that moment with Jeremy Langford, I think that that was the turning of a page of like Michigan State's dominance is legit we just stomped ohio state a very good ohio state team stopped them on some critical plays legitimately won that game it wasn't a fluke 
and he puts the icing on the cake on that one. And we know we're going to the Rose Bowl. Uh, so that was a great moment, to your point, as like a play, former player to say, hey, laid the foundation, hopefully, for these guys to continue to succeed. Like that was a really cool kind of full circle moment. But the best one was out in um, at the Rose Bowl. I'm watching those guys and Kyler Ellsworth, who was, you know, a walk on and a, a guy that was on special teams with me and stuff to see him have that moment to stop them. Like that was like the circles have been completed here. That was really cool. Yeah, the Rose Bowl is a sensitive topic because I every year I waited to see how the team looked in the first month and then I would determine if I'm making New Year's <laughs> plans or not. So the, we were down like I don't know, we were up. I was like 10-7 or 13-7 against Western in like the second or third game of the year. I think it was the second game of the year. But we looked horrible. I remember D'Antonio, I think that was the famous like next question. He was all disgusted press yeah. conference, even though they won. And I remember at halftime, because my wife was, we got invited from her family to go to Hawaii for it, which is, I mean, I'm not crying. This is like the biggest first world problem. But I was like, I got to see how Sparty looks. Like our defense was so good last year. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if our offense is even decent. So I booked our Hawaii flight at halftime of the Western Michigan State game because I was like, maybe we're going to be okay, but this is not a Rose Bowl team. And I missed the Rose Bowl, which is, oh, man. I, I couldn't get if right, it. I well, won't rub that one in then. If but, it was a, no, I, you I don't feel too bad for you because you're in Hawaii uh, watching I, it with. Uh, I, I was in Hawaii watching with a, with it. a cocktail, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. If it had been like Florida, I would have canceled that. But it was like, it was Hawaii. It was a big expense and all that. But yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I bailed on that program at the worst possible time. Uh, like, you know, if that had been one week later. But anyway, I digress. It was awesome to have you. Let's finish on a high note. Yeah. This program this year, give me a record. Give me a kind of the best version of how this goes, and we'll, we'll wrap there. <laughs> well, the best version of how it goes. Give me, go, give they, me the ceiling for this team. It's not a Big Ten ceiling, a championship ceiling, I don't think. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think we slipped anything in your drink before. You don't think this is a Big Ten championship team, I don't think. What's the sort of the, the best version here? Yeah, I think um, – let me provide some context. I think given – how challenging the division is uh, right now with Ohio State being where they're at, Michigan's where they're at, Penn State. You can be a very good football team and finish fourth in your division. Like I, like putting that on record here. Like you can be elite and finish fourth here, just so everybody like understands yeah. what we're up against. Yep. Um, so do I think it's going to be very challenging to come out of that? I do. Um, do I think to go 11-2 and two like we did in 2021 – do I think something like that is likely to happen? Probably. At this stage, probably not. I don't think we have the depth yet of where we need to be to kind of compete or to call that. But I also didn't think we could go 11-2 and two with our 2021 team. And so what I've learned about sports and anything, because so many things have to go your way and the stars almost have to align, is like never say never because you never know where your team's going to go. If I had to put money on it and bet on it, do I feel good about winning You know, eight games? Like I, That's kind of like probably where if we play and how we're capable and everybody else plays how they're capable, that's how it probably lines up as it stands now. But guys got to develop in camp. Quarterback has to get entrenched. Maybe that situation will be better than what we had before. Running backs potentially better. O-line's going to be better than it was last year. We know the DBs are going to be better. Linebackers are better. D-line's better. Like everything's going to be a lot better this year. So I think it's really going to be a matter of like matchups and how things just kind of stack up through the year. So how do the coin flips? Go? That is the most politically correct answer probably I can give you. I understand that. That's I just, fair. I though. just know that I can't call it because I didn't think anything good was going to happen in 2021 either. The biggest reason I can't call it with any intelligence, aside from the unpredictability of the last two years that preceded it, 
is the quarterback question because we don't know who the quarterback is. And the quarterback, this isn't a safety. No offense to the safeties out there. The quarterback, like, being a question mark, that that's like plus or minus four wins potentially. Totally. Like, I yeah. mean, a star quarterback versus an average versus a mediocre, I, it's yeah. widely variable. For real, this is the last thing. One piece of advice to both guys in that quarterback competition, because you've been there in that spot where we're sitting here approaching August and nobody knows, including the players themselves, who's starting opening the opening game in week one. What's your advice to Noah Kim and Kaiten Hauser heading into this quarterback battle going into the fall? Yeah, I mean, uh, first piece to be just don't leave any stone unturned. So what I mean is put in every piece of energy focus that you can don't put yourself in a position to say i wish i would have done this i wish i would have done that i wish i would have trained a little bit more studied the playbook more watch more film that'll haunt you for the rest of your life so don't leave any stone unturned and and pour everything you got into winning that spot while simultaneously making every decision every action every smile every piece of attitude that you're giving every decision should be around what's in the best interest of this football team and if you do that, what you're going to find is that by them winning, you're going to win and vice versa. And so don't make it about yourself. Make it about the team and everything that you do, every action that you have. Everything should be positive. But you're trying to win. You're trying to be a competitor. Like, put everything you have into it. Don't leave any stone unturned. Well said. Keith Nickel, I kept you like twice as long as I said. You're I have, good. <laughs> you're great, man. You were awesome. Yeah, appreciate I appreciate it. I, I, if, you're, if there is a next time and you weren't so horrified by the length and the, the nature of this experience, uh, I'll get you out in under an hour next time. I guarantee it because yeah. we won't have to do Rocket again. And, no, and, I love it. In 2011. But uh, you're awesome, man. And, um, you know, I, I do recommend from everyone I've talked to that has, has dealt with you, particularly with Darian and the team up there. Everyone says you're really good at what you do and you're you're a dynamic speaker and you know the stuff inside and out. So I don't know like if you want to plug anything, but I will say um, your reputation is awesome with everyone that. that we both know. I haven't heard a bad word about you ever. Everybody loves you. And uh, just by second second hand endorsement, I would I would definitely say anyone is in good hands with you. Honestly, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys, and thanks for having me. And I'll come back anytime. Let me know. All right, you say that. We'll see you. We'll see you if that invite gets responded to. Uh, Ben, love you. Eric, boxers, couch, you know the deal. Appreciate you back home as well. Uh, Keith Nickel was just awesome, and looking forward to dragging him back by the ear and getting him out in under two hours next time. So Justin Spiro, Spiro Avenue Show, a lot coming up. We're looking at James Edwards the third next week. Probably not booked, but probably Beat writer for The Athletic, Spartan Dog himself, great guy, great writer. What the hell is going on with the Pistons? I don't know. He's going to try to explain this to me pretty soon. Screw Avenue Show, Justin Spiro. See you next time. Thanks.